You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Transition Wild Podcast, the home for those looking for expertise and inspiration on all things Western big game hunting. I'm your host, Adam Parr, and you're listening to episode number 12, where we talk with Brad Gabrielski of Colorado Parks and Wildlife on hunting big game in Colorado. Hello, everyone. Hope everyone is doing well. It's Thursday, which means it's almost the weekend. And it's time to get out there and explore and have fun. I am currently back in Michigan. I'm visiting some family after I got done with a bunch of work travel and going to a bunch of different shows and traveling all over the country. I just kind of wanted to take a break and uh, go visit family. So I've been here all week and uh, it's been fun. It's it's snowing here, which is cool because in Colorado, where I've been, hasn't been much of a winter, so that's been it's been nice and it's been a good time. Uh, but today on the show we have Brad Gabrielski and uh, with Colorado Parks and Wildlife, and I I just thought it would be a really informational and and cool episode to be able to have um, someone from Parks and Wildlife from Colorado on the show and and just talk about hunting in general for big game and covering kind of the draw and application process that is currently underway. So, um, you know, we go through a number of topics where we, you know, cover draw odds and preference points and different season dates. And then we get into like, uh, you know, using different weapons and, and legalities and point restrictions and a bunch of different kind of informational questions or frequently asked questions that go into planning and executing a hunt in Colorado. I know myself, when I first started hunting here and growing up in Michigan, we just didn't have all the different kind of spectrums that go into um, hunting different seasons and and different game and methods of take and preference points and units and and all that stuff. So it's just a good informational hour. Um, I think you're going to learn a lot. And, and Brad's very well-spoken. He dives into a bunch of different details. So I um, hope you guys enjoy this one. If you are enjoying all of the episodes, I encourage you to go to sportsmansnation.com and subscribe. would really appreciate that. If, if you like all of the episodes, I would also appreciate a five-star review. If, if you like what you're hearing, leave us a quick review and give us five stars. That would be much, much appreciated. So without further delays, let's welcome Brad Gabrielski and let's get him on the line. All right, on the line with us now, we have Bradley Gabrielski from Colorado Parks and Wildlife. How are you doing today? Doing well. How are you doing? Doing well myself, doing well myself. How's everything out in Colorado? I'm actually back in Michigan visiting family, so I'm kind of out of the loop as far as the weather. Is it snowing there at all? Not so much snow, a little bit up in the high country, but I mean, it's been a little bit of a dry year so far, but we really haven't hit our 
real snow month um, that are coming up here. So we should expect to see a little bit more snow here before the end of the winter here. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It seems to kind of linger on a lot longer than, than usual sometimes, especially with the mild winter we might get hit with hit with something a little bit later, let's hope, uh, kind of probably need it for some of the melt-off. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Uh, those those herds uh, definitely rely on uh, that moisture that we get in the spring to carry them through into the fall. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, cool. Well, again, appreciate you coming on the show, Brad. And, um, you know, obviously there's a number of topics I want to talk about, uh, especially with the big game draw application kind of underway and everyone's kind of getting ready to plan their hunts for the year um but tell me tell me a little bit about yourself did you did you grow up in Colorado where are you from um and maybe how you got involved with uh with your job you're doing now talk to us about that yeah for sure so I grew up in Colorado so Colorado native um Went to college down in Colorado Springs for conservation, environmental studies, uh, and then ended up moving up to Denver and got a temporary job with Colorado Parks and Wildlife, and that was kind of my foot in the door to a full-time position with the agency. Uh, My first full-time job with them was the hunt planning team coordinator in the communication center, and from there just recently I was promoted to the communication center wildlife um, coordinator, so I pretty much run all all of the call call center, all the emails we get, um, try and help our customers um, get the information they need to have a successful hunt or a successful camping trip or whatever they may be coming to Colorado for. Nice, nice. So you're you're kind of you're you're using your degree and and uh, you know kind of what you went to school for and and uh, sounds like you're following some passion, so that's great. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then a lot of the agents I have um, that are also seasonal employees, uh, they have degrees in conservation or some aspect of the wildlife um, field. And so they're great resources for anybody that calls us about any questions that they may have. Very nice. Very nice. And uh, how about yourself as far as like kind of hunting and fishing? Are you a pretty avid outdoorsman on, on that side of things? Yep. Yeah. So, uh, as much time as I can get, I'll be out in the field, uh, whether I'm fishing open water or, uh, hard water. So ice fishing, that's kind of the season that we're in now. Um, as far as hunting goes, uh, mostly big game and mostly archery. Uh, I, a lot of the time I enjoy spending my Septembers out in the, out in the field, archery elk hunting. And then a little bit later in the year, I do a little bit of uh, deer hunting in the Eastern Plains of Colorado, whether it's chasing whitetails or mule deers. Uh, we got a little bit of both uh, out in Eastern Colorado, but then uh, the mountains all, also offer uh, some pretty good uh, mule deer hunting is that's kind of what we're, we're norm, known for in Colorado. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I've yet to hunt mule deer, but it's on the, on the list for this fall. I'm thinking a rifle tag. If I can get a, a leftover or something, um, and uh, we'll see how that goes. I just can't give up my archery elk hunting yet, and I don't want it to kind of coincide with archery mule deer hunting. I think i got to put another elk down before I chase him with the bow. Yeah, I mean, that's the hard thing about hunting in uh, at least Colorado is there are so many big game species you can hunt. It's kind of difficult figuring out what seasons and what species you want to chase uh, any given year, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly, and after we drop off the phone here, I'm going to have to uh, to learn all your secrets because you probably have a lot of insider information. 
<laughs> well, uh, I, a lot of a lot of time uh, boots on the ground, like anybody else. But then, yeah, I mean, any of the resources that we offer with uh, Colorado Parks and Wildlife are available to anybody. So I think when people call us, I think it's just getting those resources in the hands of the hunters, just so they can plan their successful uh, big game hunts. For sure, for sure. And um, so, yeah, you kind of touched on it a little bit. It, it can be pretty at least it was for me, kind of overwhelming, especially I I grew up in Michigan. So we pretty much just had your run of the mill. All right, here's your archery season. It goes from October 1st to January 1st. Uh, You got a two week gun season in there and muzzleloader in December. But as far as like whitetail deer, it's just pretty straightforward. There's not different kind of seasons. There's not different um, gun seasons and rifle seasons. Uh, And coming from that and moving out to Colorado, it was, it was like all these different things going on and there's different tags and then there's the draw application and there's different game management units and kind of all this stuff. So, you know, I'm, I'm just really excited to kind of talk about all that and kind of work through this whole process as somebody who is a beginner who has never hunted in Colorado before and, and how they go about like applying and, you know, and actually going on the hunt. So if, if you're up for it, I think we should just jump right into all that. Yeah, for sure. And I can definitely get, I get that. Um, a lot of people want to come to Colorado. Uh, it's different, a different type of, uh, hunt for sure. And I mean, there's dif- a lot of regulations, um, a lot of different areas that you can hunt. So, I mean, narrowing all that down to figure out what you want to do, um, is what we're here to help with. So, I mean, if we're looking at the application process, Colorado Parks and Wildlife did come out with a new licensing system this year in 2018 in January. Um, With that licensing system, it came with a few other changes that uh, everybody's getting used to, residents, non-residents. A lot of that is what we're urging people to do is to get on our website, whether it's uh, starting at the main Colorado Parks and Wildlife website at uh, cpw.state. .co.us or going to our license page directly at cpwshop.com and from there we urge people to look up their account. So at the top of the right hand corner of the screen there's a button to log in uh, or to sign in Um, and then once you're on that page there's another button that you can look up your account. So the important thing about looking up your account is because it's a new system Uh, We merged our parks reservation system with our licensing system. Um, So if you've ever made a reservation uh, with uh, Reserve America, uh, which has accounts or um, profiles with, I think, probably about eight other states, that they manage their their reservation systems for their parks. Um, so if they've ever made a reservation with them or if they've ever bought a hunting or fishing license in Colorado, or maybe they don't even remember buying a hunting or fishing license in Colorado, use that look up button to see if they still if they even have an account with us. Um, Got and it. that's the, the main thing that we're trying to get across. Yeah, so that's kind of the first step, see if you are kind of in that system. Because I know I think Kansas uses that as Reserve America as well. Um, you know, I remember booking some cabins at a state park through that. And, um, so that would mean I potentially, if I hadn't hunted Colorado before, I would already be in the system. Exactly. Yep. Okay. Okay. Got it. Got it. So let's say from the standpoint of someone who's never hunted before they did the lookup, um, they're not in the system, kind of walk us through the steps of kind of creating your profile and you know, what items you need, driver's license, all that stuff, and take us through those initial steps. 
Yeah, for sure. So when you're creating an account, we're going to need your first name, last name, middle initial, uh, date of birth, and then identifier. So an identifier could either be, if you're a Colorado resident, it'd be a Colorado driver's license. Um, if you're a non-resident, it would just be your, your state driver's license or identification card. Uh, a passport would work as well, a U.S. military ID. I mean, there's a lot of different options that you can choose from uh, for your identifier. That will just be your number that you'll pretty much use to log into your account. Um, after that, you can enter, uh, if you're setting up online, you can enter an email address. It will be required. Uh, nice thing about this new system is that with the email address on file is that you can get updates if there's any changes to your account or if you're awarded a license or if your payment didn't go through or if you're making camping reservations. You'll get all those, those emails to keep you up to date and keep track of what you've purchased. Um, from there, you can also enter uh, a phone number so we can get in contact you if there's any issues. You'll also need a physical address uh, or mailing address. And then we also have a part on there where you can select your contact methods, whether you want to be contacted by phone or a text message or an email. Uh, so a lot of great different aspects of this new system. Yeah, no, that's really cool. And, and I know you guys had released a video a couple of weeks ago, I believe, or right before the kind of the draw application period opened, kind of talking about some of these new changes for 2018. And a couple that stuck out to me were, um, as far as the application process, there's no more paper applications, I believe. It's all um, online or over the phone. And then there's also something along the lines of, um, you know, paying for tags and not having to shell out you know, the full price of a tag or for the full price of a preference point. Um, talk to us about some of those new changes for this year because you kind of already talked about, you know, basically we've created a profile, we've logged in, now we're at the point of, all right, where do I go to apply, let's say, for mule deer and uh, elk? So walk us through those next steps. Yeah, for sure. So again, like you said, um, I think one of the big changes, at least for non-residents, is uh, no paper applications, which is nice. I mean, I think um, it was uh, a good way for some of our um, constituents to get into the draw if they're not that computer savvy. Um, however, uh, we also ran into a lot of issues with paper applications. Maybe the handwriting was ineligible um, or something like that, where maybe they got ejected from the draw because of an application error. So now with everything online, there's very um, little room for error. Um, and then another benefit to non-residents is not having to pay the full price for a license up front. So in previous years, say for an elk license, they would have to pay the 600 something dollars to pay for an either sex or a bull license, and they'd have to have that at the time of application. Um, now, you're just going to have to pay for the $3 application fee for each species that you're applying for, and then a $10 habitat stamp if it's required. A $10 habitat stamp is required for anyone between the ages of uh, 18 and 64 years old. Got it, got it. And and as far as preference points, I believe, because um, I, I remember for non-residents, they used to have to pay the full um, tag price as well, but th this year it has changed and it's reduced, correct? 
Exactly. So again, in years past, when you're applying just for a preference point, you'd still have to put that full money forward when you're applying for the draw. Um, so again, nice thing about it is you're just going to be paying the $3 up front and then the $10 habitat stamp if it's required. And then in June, at the beginning of June, when the draw results are posted, um, that's when we are going to charge for the preference point fee. If you're applying for just a preference point, or that's when we're going to charge for the the license that you're awarded through the draw. So how preference point fees work, um, if you didn't hold an active license uh, in the previous year, so last year was 2017, so an annual license would be uh, annual uh, fishing license, an annual small game license. If you're a resident, we also have an annual combination license for small game and fishing. Or if you did not hold a big game license the previous year, you'll be charged a $40 per species preference point fee for deer, elk, pronghorn, and bear. If you're applying for all four, that, that fee would be assessed to all four species. Um, so with that, uh, the fees for residents are a little bit cheaper. It'll be $30 for um, deer and pronghorn and uh, for all the non-residents. So that could add up pretty quick. I mean, if you're applying for all four species, that could add up to $160 in preference point fees uh, for non-residents. So a great way to avoid that, so if you do plan to come to Colorado, if you plan to make a trip in future years and you want to accumulate points for all four of those species and you don't want to pay those fees, a great way to get around that would be to just purchase an annual fishing license or an annual small game license from 2017, and then you'll be avoiding those preference points. So, I mean, you could end up paying more like uh, $66 versus $160. Oh, really? That's that's pretty neat. I didn't know that. Yep. So that's pretty nice. Uh, nice way to save a little bit of money and still get those preference points, especially if you're not coming to Colorado on a regular basis. For sure. And and just that change alone is is huge for um, especially non-residents because I mean you're talking just let's say you wanted to put in for mule deer and elk, you'd have to shell out. I think over a thousand dollars is kind of what it adds up to. And, um, you know, granted you get that majority of it back, it's mailed back to you in July, or at least that's how it worked in the past. But, you know, to be able to throw out thousands of dollars, um, for, (laughs) for hunting points and tags, it's, it's not exactly easy for some people. So I imagine this is going to open up a lot more people applying to Colorado to hunt. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it was a challenge. I mean, for a non-resident coming up with all that money, especially just for a preference point fee, that's a lot of money. And then waiting that time to get that refund check back in the mail. And that's the nice thing about uh, going away with uh, having all that money up front is uh, if you're just going to be charged a preference point fee, you'll be charged at that with just that in June. Um, or if you're awarded a license, you'll be charged that in June. Um, so no, no longer you're having to wait for all that money tied up in a check that you're waiting for um, a few months later after that uh, draw has ended. Got it. Got it. So, so you said um, people can call call in and talk to to yourself or you know some of your staff there, and basically they're like a hunt planner, so they can help you kind of walk you through that process of, you know, maybe selecting, um, you know, tags and answering all these questions. So after we've created the profile and, um, you know, preference points are a different thing, kind of what are, what are some of those next steps that, that you would take? Um, I know you can get down in a bunch of different rabbit holes, but, um, kind of walk us through the process of, of 
applying games. I know there's like hunt codes and, you know, different seasons. Let's talk a little bit about that. For sure. So Colorado has uh, an archery season, uh, and we're just going to kind of talk about elk and deer and bear uh, and even pronghorn. There's typically an archery season. Um, for elk, that's going to be usually the, the month of September. Uh, and then we also have a muzzleloader season that also overlaps with that archery season. And then we're also going to have our four regular rifle seasons, so our first, second, third, and fourth rifle seasons. Um, that kind of gets spread out through the months of October and November. Uh, depending on the area that they're, that someone wants to hunt, a fourth season could be really good, especially if we get a lot of snow and the elk start moving to their, their wintering areas. Um, during September, uh, it's going to be the peak of the rut. So, I mean, a lot of guys like to be out there. The weather's nice. Sometimes you'll get snow. Um, typically not too much, though. But the weather and the fall colors, I mean, that's, that's a big aspect of Colorado that really draws a lot of people. It's just a really great time of the year to get out in the get out in the woods and chase some elk or deer for sure for sure yeah and let's uh let's talk about specifically for elk i know like you said there's there's an archery season there's a muzzleloader season um some of the guys are interested in rifle as well uh, uh correct me if i'm wrong but first and fourth season are draw tags for elk and second and third you can get over the counter bull tag for rifle is that is that uh correct on my understanding yep that's correct yep so that first rifle season is going to be draw only um first and fourth are going to be draw only there is an opportunity though for leftover tags if there's quota leftover after the draw you could still pick those up as a leftover license but for the majority yep they're going to be limited licenses and then nice thing about colorado is we do offer those over-the-counter licenses um so that we do like you said we offer that antlered elk rifle for second or third season um, those are a little bit longer seasons too. Nice thing about that over-the-counter license is it's valid for over half the units in Colorado, and it's not unit specific. So as long as you're hunting in one valid unit and say you may want to move to another valid unit, you can go ahead and do that. I mean that's that's the kind of beauty of that license, and the license for that over-the-counter license specifically is available in unlimited quantities. So um, if you're coming to Colorado or you don't know if you want to come to Colorado yet, you can still um, purchase that ahead of time when they go on sale in August, uh, or you can wait uh, till maybe the week before the, arch, the the rifle season starts and pick that license up. Uh, once the season starts, you'd have to, you could still buy that license, but you'd have to go to a Colorado Parks and Wildlife office. But those over-the-counter, at least that over-the-counter license for rifle is a, is a pretty great license. Um, uh, some other over-the-counter licenses that we offer for elk is the over-the-counter either sex archery license. Again, it's valid for over half the units in Colorado. It's not unit specific. So as long as you're still hunting in a valid unit, um, you'd be good to go with that license. Nice thing about the archery license, uh, the either sex archery license over-the-counter, is that even after the season starts, you can still purchase that at any of our license agents. Uh, so, again, our over-the-counter licenses in Colorado are pretty great. I mean, for me, every year I, I may just apply for a preference point for elk and then just get my over-the-counter either-sex archery license, and I'll be good to go. And maybe I don't have a specific unit planned to hunt. Um, this license gives me the ability to kind of pick and choose, as, like I said, as long as I'm hunting in a valid unit. For sure, for sure. Lots of opportunities. I'm a big over-the-counter guy myself until I build up some more points and – uh 
you know, can kind of pick and choose where I want to use those and, and where I want to hunt. Um, now switching over to deer, uh, mule deer, correct me if I'm wrong, is all draw for all seasons. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, Colorado used to offer some over-the-counter deer licenses, but we kind of discontinued that just because we're trying to build up our deer populations, our mule deer populations specifically. Um, so all those licenses are limited. Got it. Got it. Now, while we're while we're kind of on the subject of kind of tags and, and licenses, talk to me a little bit about like A tags versus B tags. And I believe you have a C tag. Um, that was, that was something that was pretty confusing for me. Actually last year, I, when I applied, I applied for a cow tag and I thought it was, I was like, Oh, I'll get a cow tag in addition to my, uh, archery either sex. So it was, a I think a second season rifle cow tag. And I didn't realize it at the time, but it, that was also an A tag. And um, you cannot have two ATAG licenses in the same calendar year. Um, talk to us about A versus B, and I believe you have the C license, and how all that works. Yeah, so that's if someone wants to get multiple licenses. So each year, each, each year for, per species, someone can get one A-list license. So typically that's going to be um, an either sex license or a bull license or a buck license. However, depending on how the units are managed, um, female licenses can also be A-list licenses, as you kind of mentioned. So it really depends on how that unit's being managed. Um, like like we we're looking at the over-the-counter licenses for the either sex archery, elk, and the uh, uh, rifle over-the-counter uh, for second and third season, that's a bull license. Those would both be A-list licenses. Uh, so if you're planning to go through the draw or um, you're also planning to get the over-the-counter license, it, it's good to look at what list type they are. Um, so in the big game brochure, uh, it's going to tell you the list type for each hunt code or over-the-counter licenses that you're going to be looking at. Uh, it can be pretty confusing, though. It will be in the, over in the right-hand hand column um, that will tell you the list type. Uh, again, like I said, you can only get one A-list license, but then you can also get a B-list license. Uh, B-list licenses are often going to be antlerless or female licenses. Um, and so you just got to look at the hunt codes and plan uh, whether I say I'm going to get my limited B-list license through the draw and then pick up an over-the-counter license, then I'll be good to go. Uh, we also offer C-list licenses. Those are a little bit harder to come by. Um, C-list licenses are usually um, for deprivation or game damage or special management. Uh, and those licenses can uh, get scooped up pretty quick because if it's a C-list license, you can buy as many of those as you want. So, I mean, if there's a list of five of them, you could buy all five if you'd like. Uh, again, like I said, those are pretty hard to come by, but it would be a great opportunity if, if you know maybe a private landowner or somewhere um, where they are doing those special management hunts. Got it. Got it. I know for like myself, probably what I'll look into this year is – Obviously, my either sex archery, that's going to be an A-tag, but I believe there are some uh, cow-only archery licenses that are classified as that B-tag. So if I didn't, if I was in an area that, um, you know, held good numbers and I didn't want to necessarily uh, burn my 
uh, either sex tag on a cow, I could purchase a second tag as a B license and, and use that as a, a cow only. I believe there's some of those opportunities as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, another one of the over-the-counter licenses that we didn't cover for um, elk hunting uh, is the antlerless archery elk license. So, and that would be a B-list license. And again, that's available in unlimited quantities. You can purchase it um, either before you come out or during the season. Uh, again, I don't. It's not open to as many units as the either sex license, but it's definitely a good option. I mean, if you're not specifically tied to one unit to hunt, and you, or maybe you want to learn a new unit, or maybe it's your first time coming out, um, and in your uh, specifically an archery hunter, I mean, you can get that antlerless license, and then maybe um, the either sex. Uh, archery elk over the counter license as well. So maybe you could have two archery licenses or again, it just depends. I mean, there's a lot of different things you can do. You may want to do your antlerless archery license um, for archery season and then do a limited uh, license or even the over the counter bull license for second or third season. So, I mean, you can mix and match seasons um, as long as you're just paying attention to what list type it is. Uh, I mean, you can, you can come out here hunting a few times or you can get a few licenses for the same season. It just depends what you want to do. Got it. Got it. Well, cool. So let's say, let's say we've gone through the application process we've put in for our tags and um, the draw results come out in July. Is that correct? So the draw results this year, let me just double check for you. Uh, draw results are going to be posted online um, starting June 4th through the 8th. Um, that's also oh, wow. when a credit card and that's also when a credit card will be charged. Um, so as soon as we post those results, your credit card on file will be charged if you're awarded a license or if you're awarded a preference point. And then say you have an issue with your credit card or you don't have enough money in your account to pay for it, um, we do give up to June 20th to actually get that license payment in. Um, so that's a, a pretty big change for at least how um, the system has typically worked in Colorado. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Is June earlier than than what it has been in years past, and and is that due to the um, no paper applications? So yeah, it's it's going to be a little bit earlier. Um, I, I mean, the draws typically take about the same amount of time, um, but again, we're not having to worry about processing uh, refund checks or paper applications, so it kind of expedites the the process a little bit faster. Um, and then, like I say, if you're awarded a license, you get an email, too. If you got an email on file, that'll let you know, hey, you've been awarded this license. You've been charged this amount. So it's kind of hands-off approach. You don't really have to worry about anything. And, again, that, that refund check, at least for the non-residents, you don't have to worry about when am I going to get that refund check in the mail. Nice, nice. So, so talk to us a little bit about leftover tags and the leftover list and kind of when that kicks off and, and how you go about navigating that whole process. Yep. So there's a few different options for the leftover. So one thing I'll start off saying is we have a primary draw and then a leftover license draw. Um, so you can go into the primary draw. So say I'm applying for four licenses as my four choices. I'm unsuccessful on all those. We also have an option on there that says, if I am unsuccessful in the draw, what would you like to 
to get. Uh, we have an option where you can just get nothing, um, but then we have an option for those over-the-counter licenses we offer, and then we also have an option for the leftover draw. So then we'll give you an opportunity to get first crack at any leftover licenses from the primary draw. It'll be the similar thing as the primary draw. You'll still get four choices. You won't be using any preference points or anything like that for the leftover draw, so you, you'll be able to get first crack at those. If you don't participate in the leftover draw, you'll just have to wait, uh, let's see here, till, uh, let's see, August 7th. Uh, when those leftover licenses are going to go on sale to the general public, and those will be on a first-come, first-served basis. Uh, that's a really busy time of the year for us. When they go on sale, our phones are ringing, our license vendors' phones are ringing, um, and that's going to be in person or by phone that August 7th. And then starting at midnight on August 8th, they'll be able to be purchased online. Um, so if you really want something, get on that phone as fast as you can at 9 a.m. Mountain Time. Try and get that license on that leftover list. Again, we're still looking. If you are trying to get multiple licenses, look at that ABC list designation um, to see what kind of licenses that you get. Some licenses get scooped up pretty quick, um, depending on the quotas and the units that they're available for. So it's a, it's a really great opportunity to get licenses. Say you missed the draw, um, those leftover licenses or over-the-counter licenses are going to be available for you. Oh, that's great. And uh, you touched on it a little bit, but it's something I kind of skipped past. But um, talk to us about like first, second, third, and fourth choice. Um, I know for myself, I don't want to burn my preference points yet because I want to build, keep building them up and then maybe put them towards a, a little bit higher quality hunt as far as maybe like a trophy, um, you know, more of a trophy unit. Um, but talk to us about that. Um, for example, like if, if you you have your second choice. Um, that's not going to use a preference point if you draw that, but if you put in for a first choice tag, that will use your preference points. Talk to us and kind of explain that system. Exactly. So, I mean, the main thing to know is anytime you draw a license as your first choice, we're going to use your points. So maybe you're looking at the hunting statistics or the draw recap reports, and you're doing your homework, looking at what hunt codes you want to apply for. Um, say a hunt code may take zero points and you have 10 points. If you put in for that license as a first choice, it will use any preference points that you have if you're awarded that license. So I think that's the key thing to remember. We won't take one point if it takes one point. We're going to take all the points that you have if you're awarded that license as a first choice. Um, as soon as you get to a second choice, third choice, fourth choice, your preference points aren't affected. So say you don't draw your license as a first choice, you're going to be awarded a point. Or if you're putting in the preference point code as, a, as your first choice, you're going to be awarded a point. But then you can still draw a license as your second, third, or fourth choice. Or, again, go into that leftover draw and try and pick up one of those licenses. Uh, or if you buy a leftover license when they go on sale to the general public, to everybody, um, those won't take your points either if it's on that leftover list. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I was looking at the kind of draw statistics a couple of weeks back and, uh, I was looking at a mule deer hunt that only took like one point or two points and some one person put in for it and it was probably a mistake, but that would be like my biggest fear. But they, they ended up using like 15 points on that tag and I'm like, Oh no, that, <laughs> that person screwed up <laughs> big time. 
Right, and we see that quite often with uh, group applications. So if guys are coming out here hunting um, and they want to go with all their buddies and they want everybody in their hunting party to get a license, people apply as a group. Um, and so kind of with that, a few things have changed this year as far as that goes as well. So if someone's applying as a group, they want the group leader to apply first. Um, all the hunt codes are going to have to be the same. Um, so the group leader can't say, these are my four choices, and another group member have a different four choices um, that could cause some some issues down the road there. Um, so as long as they're all on the same page, everybody's applying for the same licenses, it's an opportunity for everybody to get awarded a license. Um, if there's not enough quota available or if the non-resident cap has been met, maybe there's not enough licenses for everybody in the group. Therefore, not no one in the group is going to be awarded a license. So it just really depends on the units that someone's applying for. Sometimes a group application can be a really good way to go. Um, Sometimes it can be a bad way to go. If, if people are applying as a group, you're considered to have the same amount of preference points as the person with the least amount of preference points in your group. So I, I can see how this can get a lot pretty confusing for a lot of our constituents. There, again, there's a lot of rules and stuff involved. But I think as long as you're, you're planning ahead or give us a call, we're more than happy to walk you through it. Um, and so, again, like you're saying, that one person was using those 15 preference points. He might have been in a group with someone um, with uh, zero points, and so he was actually considered to have zero points, and they drew their license as a first choice. And so we took all of his points as well as any other group member's points in that group if they were awarded that first choice license. Got it. Got it. That makes sense. And I think a lot of states do that as well, where, you know, the person in the group, if you're applying for all the same tags as a group, uh, it's always going to default to the lowest number of points and draw based off of that. So that makes total sense. Right. And I think so, someone that we didn't really cover on a little bit earlier, um, Colorado is a traditional preference point system, at least for deer, elk, pronghorn, and bear. Uh, so it means if you have the most preference points, you're going to be awarded the license. Um, so, the, I mean, there's some trophy units in Colorado. Uh, I, we don't really designate them as trophy units. I think they've just been, uh, over the time, have been known for to produce better quality elk or better quality deer. And those can take upwards up to 20 years worth of preference points to draw. Um, there's also units that don't take any preference points at all and everything in between. So I think planning on what kind of hunt you want um, in planning in advance is definitely a benefit in looking at those statistics. Uh, reading our statistics can be a little bit difficult. Um, we do offer a uh, magazine produced by Colorado Outdoors. It's our annual preference point issue. Um, and it's a really simplified format of our, our, our draw statistics. So if you really want to just a book that you can just pretty much glance at and look at everything that takes one preference point, um, that preference point issue is a great resource to use. It, it allows you to just pick out those hunts that you may be interested in applying for this year that took X amount of points last year. Uh, it also has estimated uh, herd counts. So if you're looking for the unit with the most amount of elk or the most amount of deer um, or the biggest or highest uh, buck to doe ratio, um, this is a great book, pretty cheap. It's only two dollars and ninety five cents. so it's it's a it's a hard document to uh, pass up on for sure. yeah, that all sounds sounds great. And I think the way Colorado does it's it's really fair and it allows you to kind of plan um, 
plan your hunts better just because there's some states out there that's just more of like a weighted draw or they don't offer any preference points. So you never really know if you're going to get drawn or not. Um, whereas Colorado, it's kind of like you look at the averages and the statistics and the draw odds and you can, you know, with a pretty good amount of certainty, you can, you can plan for a hunt because you, you have a pretty good shot at knowing what you're going to realistically be drawn for and what you're not. So I, I, I think it's cool. I think it's, uh, what you guys are doing is, is the way to go, especially for non-residents that have to make arrangements and travel and, and do a little bit more planning that goes into it. Yeah, I mean, most of the stats you look at, they're pretty consistent every year. Um, There is the occasional maybe quota change that can go up or down. Um, But, I mean, some of those things are done on a year-by-year basis, so we can't really predict that, and we also can't predict how many people with a certain amount of preference points are going to apply for a certain hunt code. Again, looking at the stats, though, you get a there is a trend. So, I mean, you can pretty much calculate when you may be able to draw a specific license, even if it's... Um, 20 years from now, you still can get a general idea of, okay, this is typically how many points it gets year to year, um, and, and you make your plans from there. And not all of our units that take a lot of points are necessarily trophy units. Um, some units may have easier access. Um, some units may have less hunting pressure. So depending on the unit that you're looking at and the type of hunt that you're looking to have, um, Colorado has a lot of different ecosystems and terrain. So Western Colorado is a little bit uh, more of an arid climate. They still have a lot of elk over there and a lot of deer. Um, and then our central Colorado is going to be more of your typical high mountain elk and deer um, hunts above tree line and stuff like that. Very cool. Very cool. So we've kind of touched on the application process and tags and kind of figuring all of that out let's let's talk and transition a little bit towards you know kind of going on the hunt itself um i know not all states require this but colorado requires you to have um your valid hunter safety card on you at all times is, is that correct that's correct yep and it'll have to be your physical hunter education card so anyone born on or after january 1st 1949 must have hunter education card while they're in Colorado hunting. Um, I know this is kind of difficult. Colorado is a little bit more strict than other states, um, but we also have pretty safe um, hunting statistics. I mean, we don't have that many hunting accidents, and it's because we, we require that hunter education. Um, if, if a non-resident's coming to Colorado, it's their first time, they can bring that hunter education card with them, stop in an office, we'll verify that hunter education on their account, and then say next time... They forgot their hunter education card. No problem. It's verified to their account. That's going to show up on the license that they have. So it's kind of one thing that once they get verified, they don't necessarily have to worry about, oh, did I grab that? Did I grab this? Um, They'll just be good to go to either purchase that license um, or just to be out in the field without having that. I mean, for me, I always carry it on me just in case, even though I am verified. But it's just kind of one of those things to safeguard you, at least for non-residents, too. I mean, if you if you forget that, you kind of don't want to be out of luck by the time you get to Colorado. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's, that's one thing I did uh, this past season is I stopped into an office and got it verified and then it just prints it on your licenses and, and you're good to go. So if you do forget it or you don't need to, you don't necessarily need to bring it and have it on you at all times. That's, that's nice. Yep. 
And we do. I mean, if someone um, is a, say, they don't have hunter ed, or maybe it's not required for their state, we do offer a few different options uh, for those individuals. So individuals over the age of 50 or active duty U.S. military and U.S. military veterans, um, they can obtain a hunter education certificate by doing a test out. Um, so if you're looking for more information about that, you can find that on our website. And then we also offer for maybe some of the younger um, youth that are coming out to Colorado. So in Colorado, you have to be at least 12 years old or 11, turning 12 years old during that season or before that season starts um, to get a license. Um, but if they don't have hunter ed or maybe they don't want to take hunter ed to even see if they're interested in hunting yet, we do offer a one-time apprentice certificate that's free. Um, it can be attained through our licensing system. Once they have that, it's a one-year waiver for hunter education. So a parent, if they don't know if their kid is interested in hunting yet, but they want to take them out, because youth licenses in Colorado are, are, are pretty good bargain. I mean, it's a good deal to get them out here. I mean, maybe the parent's not hunting. As long as that parent has hunter education, they're over 18 years old, as long as they're within uh, voice and sound of that youth hunter, or even some people get that apprentice license, even if they're not a youth, um, if they don't kind of something to get them past that uh, hunter ed requirement, uh, it's a really good option to get those youths in the field and see if they would like to experience uh, a big game hunt. Got it. Got it. And as far as rifle hunting, uh, you do require hunter orange, um, and then muzzleloading season, archery hunters do not have to wear orange. Is, is that correct? So that's correct. Yep. Uh, so all our rifle seasons are going to require at least 500 square inches of, uh, daylight fluorescent orange or fluorescent pink. Um, and then we also require a head covering that is also daylight fluorescent orange or pink. And, um, that's going to be required for muzzleloader as well. And then if you're an archery hunter, you do not have to wear, um, that required orange. So even with that muzzleloader season and archery season overlap, archery hunters are still not required to wear that orange. If they feel like they need to, they definitely can. I mean, we can even suggest it that, I mean, it's a good idea when you're out in the field there just to prevent some of those accidents from happening. Um, and then I would also like to say that, uh, with that orange, uh, Camouflage orange is not acceptable in Colorado, so it has to be solid daylight fluorescent orange or fluorescent pink. That that camouflage orange or camo pink would not qualify in Colorado. Got it, got it. And kind of while we're on gear there for a second, um, I know we have a lot of archery hunters listening to the podcast. Um, as far as mechanical broadheads, those are allowed currently in Colorado. Yep, that's correct. Yep, the mechanical um, would be good to go, or fixed blade would be good to go. I mean, we do still have some regulations as far as diameter of the blades and steel cutting edges and maybe some of the specifics of the broadheads, um, but that can also be found in our big game brochure. Got it. And lighted knocks, are those allowed currently? Yes, that is correct. Yep. So lighted knocks are going to be allowed. Uh, also, video cameras can be attached to a bow. I mean, as long as they don't project light, um, any other type of electronic or battery-operated devices cannot be incorporated. So really the only exception is to those lighted knocks and to those recording devices. Those can be attached, but anything else, so like a lighted sight, 
those would not be legal in Colorado. And I know technology's changed a lot for the archery industry. Um, there's some pretty high-tech archery sites out there. So if they're lighted sites or if they're electronic sites, those would not be allowed in Colorado. Got it. So even, uh, I know like Garmin, I believe they came out with a new site this year. It's basically a rangefinder built into the site pin. So that would not be allowed in Colorado to hunt with. That's correct. That one would be illegal to be used in Colorado. Got it. And how about crossbows? Are those currently allowed for take of big game? So they will be allowed for take to big game. They cannot be used in archery season unless you have an accommodation permit. So say you have a shoulder disability or something like that, you can apply for accommodation permit to use a crossbow or draw lock uh, during the archery season. Uh, otherwise, crossbows will be only be able to be used um, during the rifle season. Got it. Got it. Cool. Um, well, let's let's talk a little bit about... Um, antler point restrictions and kind of, you know, kind of the hunt as far as tagging and proof of sex. Let's touch a little bit on that. So I know for a lot of units, well, I guess there's, there's some of both, but hunters have to be aware of certain antler point restrictions in certain units. Talk to us about that a little bit. Yeah, I'd say, uh, all, if not most of the units that are for over-the-counter are going to have an antler point restriction. Um, so an antler point is a projection of the antler at least one inch long and which has longer than the width of its base. Uh, and a brow tine is going to be a uh, projection of an antler at least five inches long located on the lower half of the antler. So um, the way it works in Colorado is typically uh, it's going to be at least four points on one antler um, or a five inch brow tine. So depending on the unit that you're in, it may have that antler point restriction or it may not. And so this antler point restriction is specifically going to be for elk. Um, so if you're not sure, I mean, judging a five inch brow tine out during a rifle season could be pretty difficult. I mean, it could even be pretty difficult, um, during an archery season, depending on how close you are to the animal. I mean, typically to play it safe, I just say, have look at that elk, see if it has four points on at least one antler and you'll be good to go. Got it. So that, that was kind of a confusing, um, thing for me getting started in Colorado. It's, it's not a combination of both. So it doesn't have to have four points on one side and a five, five inch brow. It just has to have either or. So either four exactly. points or a five inch brow, not both. That's correct. Okay, yep. cool, cool. Um, so let's talk about, you know, after you've, you've taken your deer or elk, um, let's talk a little bit about like proof of sex and tagging requirements. Um, I know you have to tag the carcass. You're not supposed to tag the antlers. Um, just kind of walk us through that and, and proof of sex and, and tagging and keeping the license with the meat and, and all, and all of that. Right, exactly. So as you touched on, you're going to actually tag the carcass. Um, technically, having it on the antlers would not be legal. So um, if you're deboning or something like that, uh, you just want to attach that uh, carcass tag to the largest um, section of meat. Um, and you also want to have your evidence of sex attached. So um, if you're hunting in, say, a point-restricted unit, you're going to want to have evidence of sex attached um, as well as um, the antlers to prove 
um, that you have a legal bull harvested or a legal buck harvested from that unit. So having that those antlers with the skull cap, or you can bring out the whole head um, with the antlers. I know a lot of guys that come to Colorado like to do a backpack hunt or like a spike camp. Um, so bringing out the whole animal is a little bit difficult. Um, so attaching that uh, to the carcass or to the major portions of meat. I know deboning definitely saves you a lot of weight from carrying that around. Um, so attach that to a quarter or another major part of the carcass. Uh, and then I also as kind of the safety thing, if you are bringing those antlers out, maybe some orange flag tape or something like that on there, just so, uh, other hunters know that it's not a live animal walking through the woods. You definitely want to kind of avoid any ac- potential accidents that may happen. Um, so again, having that carcass tag attached and then that those antlers to also prove that you meet those, uh, antler point restrictions. Now, how does that work? If let's say I'm hunting by myself or it's just me and my buddy, um, we get one down in the back country and we, let's say we got two miles to pack out. Let's say I grab, I grab a quarter, throw it on my pack and that pretty much maxes me out. Um, and then my buddy grabs a quarter, let's say, do we, how does that work? Do we each have to have proof of sex or for every load that we carry out, do we have to have proof of sex and the tag with that meat or how, how does all that play out? Yeah, it can be a difficult process. I mean, you only have to have that evidence of sex attached to one major portion. Um, what I like to do, I mean, typically I'll leave the antlers for the last thing to take out. Um, but first thing I'll bring out is evidence of sex. So if I am stopped by an officer or something like that, I can show them the evidence of sex and the carcass tag. Um, sometimes I may also want to just take the, the, the evidence of sex out and then leave my carcass tag with the other meat. So if an officer does stop me, I can say, here's the evidence of sex. If you would like to follow me, I can show you my carcass tag that's uh, attached to the rest of my animal. Um, sometimes leaving that carcass tag on that animal um, that's back at the harvest location um, is, is your best bet because you can you can always have that carcass tag with the meat and then your actual license in your pocket so you can show them the license and your evidence of sex and then if he then needs further proof of um, that that harvest they can always follow you to that harvest location so it can be kind of a logistic sometimes but I think as long as you're planning it out always have that license on you um, and then bringing that antler uh, out last can uh, can benefit you got it got it makes sense to me well cool well uh, we've kind of kept you here long enough i appreciate you brad and uh, i think a lot of valuable information here that um you know people will be able to tune in and 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 kind of plan their hunts and and learn how it all works but before we jump off here where are some of the places that that we can go to find out more information i know um you guys have like a hunt planner um you know, number that people can contact. You have different videos on the site. You've got different scouting tools and planning tools on the site. Talk to us a little bit about where people can go to kind of further look into hunting in Colorado. Yep, for sure. So as you mentioned, we do have our hunt planners that are available to talk to. We won't give you a specific location. We don't have any elk tied up or anything like that, but we can definitely (laughs) help guide you in the right direction. Um, We can get you at least the resources that you need. And Colorado offers a lot of resources. Um, So again, if you want to talk to those hunt planners, uh, that phone number will be 303-291-7526. 
Um, I got some great staff here. We're not knowledgeable in every single aspect of Colorado. So if you want real details of a specific area, reaching out to that area office is typically going to be your best bet. Um, and the thing that a lot of other guys for me forget too is, uh, reaching out to that land managing agency is also a good step too. So whether it's the BLM land or national forest, reaching out to their field offices to see if there's road closures or cattle grazing or prescribed burns, or maybe there's been previous burns in that area that you may need to know about that may impact your hunt. Uh, worst thing is getting to an area that you've been looking at, like on Google Earth or some digital format, and then you get there and it's maybe they had a fire last year and you don't know about that. So reaching out to those land managing agencies is key. Um, other resources that we have available on our website, one that I use on a daily basis is our Colorado Hunting Atlas. Um, similar uh, format to, say, Google Earth, but we do also have base maps on there as a street view, aerial view, and a topographic view. Um, so really good for planning your hunts. Uh, best thing about that is we have a motor vehicle use map overlay for the National Forest. So if you're looking somewhere for dispersed camping, you don't really want to camp at an actual campsite, but you just want to camp kind of in the thick of it, um, set up a base camp. Looking at that motor vehicle use map will definitely help you plan that hunt. Um, it'll also show you where you can use ATVs, where you can use just four-wheel drive trucks. So great tool there. Uh, Hunting Atlas also offers great overlays as far as species-specific information. So if you're an archery hunter, um, you want to look at the summer concentrations of elk. That's where you're going to find those elk typically during that muzzleloader archery season. If it's a warmer year, sometimes even this first and second, third rifle season. Um, we also have their migration patterns and their winter concentration areas. A um, lot of great useful information on there. Um, we also offer the, uh, our big game hunting regional guide. So depending on whether you're going to northwest Colorado, southwest Colorado, northeast Colorado, um, we have specific guides that kind of talk about general terrain, success rates in those units, um, winter type conditions, maybe when you should expect snow. Um, so those are great uh, opportunities as well. If you've never been elk hunting before, we also have on our website, uh, it's a elk hunting university that kind of goes over the basics of elk hunting in Colorado. A lot of useful tools on there. Um, really good information. Uh, Colorado also has a YouTube channel. Uh, again, hundreds of great videos, whether it's talking about field dressing or licensing stuff, uh, stuff about our hatcheries. I mean, a wealth of information on there as well. I did mention that Colorado Outdoors annual preference point issue. That's really great. I mean, if you're looking at our stats and it just is too confusing, that Colorado Outdoors annual preference point issue is a great, great buy. Um, we also have a ton of information as far as draw results go in estimated harvest reports. Our 2017 estimated harvest reports will be added to our website here pretty shortly. I mean, we're aiming for mid-March, so I'd say within the next week or so, those, those harvest reports from last year will be available for the guys that kind of want to see how the season was last year. Uh, and again, again, our Big Game Brochure. Our 2018 Big Game Brochure is going to be uh, digital online. If you would like to request a hard copy, you can also request a, a hard copy brochure off our website as well, and that could be for our sheep and goat brochure as well. Uh, all our regulations are going to be in that brochure, all the legal methods to take. Everything that we covered today is going to be in that 2018 Big Game Brochure. 
I think that's about what I have for at least resources. I mean, if anybody has just general information that they want to call about and they don't necessarily want uh, big game hunting specific information, we do have our general info line that our agents can help you out with at uh, 303-297-1192. Perfect, perfect. All good stuff, Brad. Well, hey, I I appreciate you. Um, It's been a great time talking with you very informational for myself i learned a few things that i didn't know and and uh, again thank you for your time and and uh, you have a great rest of your day all right yeah thank you for having me on your show and uh, hopefully we can do it again sometime wow that was cool brad thanks again for coming on the show i hope everyone learned a lot from that i know i did And uh, like I said, it can be overwhelming kind of planning that first hunt to Colorado, but hopefully with Brad outlining all the different topics that we covered um, really kind of makes it a little easier to kind of take that step and and plan that hunt to Colorado in 2018. Um, You know, again, hats off to Brad. It's not easy kind of sometimes looking through that hunt planner, that PDF that they put out. Um, Everything's very well outlined in there, but sometimes it's nice just to hear people kind of talk about it and ask the questions. Um, So again, hope you guys enjoyed that. A lot of that stuff that Brad was talking about as far as like the resources and, um, you know, scouting and some of those tools and links to what he was talking about can be found on my website. Go to transitionwild.com, and if you go to the resources page, I highlight some links there that kind of direct you over to the Colorado Parks and Wildlife site. So um, make sure you do that. And I don't have it up right now. Currently, what I'm offering on the site, if you subscribe, is basically five hunts under $1,000 for you and a friend that are DIY. And I kind of outline and, and break down the costs of each hunt. Spoiler alert. Colorado elk is on that guide that I put together. But if you subscribe currently to transitionwild.com, I send you that for free. And it's kind of a good informational guide that breaks down a bunch of, uh, of the hunts and costs that are associated with that. But if you are interested, I also have put together the Colorado beginner elk hunting guide. I don't have that currently on my website, but if you do want access to that, just shoot me a note. So go to the contact page and say, Hey, Adam, send me that guide. I'd like to have access to that because again, a lot of the stuff that he talks about as far as scouting and and planning these hunts, I have links to in that guide, if that makes it a little easier for you. So just wanted to let you know about that. Again, if you are like what you, if you like what you are hearing, make sure to subscribe and Um, it's important to note on the sportsman's nation, um, podcast network, we've, we've broken this into two separate feeds. So there's the whitetail hunting feed and the Western big game hunting feed. I am now on the Western big game hunting feed. So make sure if you're, you're interested in the podcast and you want to get all the episodes, make sure you subscribe to that feed. Um, you can subscribe to both. There's a lot of good podcasts out there as well on the whitetail side. But um, if you're looking for exclusive content on Transition Wild, make sure you subscribe to the Sportsman's Nation Western Big Game feed. So I want to note that. Um, make sure you're following us on social media, Sportsman's Nation on Instagram, Facebook. And then, uh, you know, check out Transition Wild. I have an Instagram page. I have uh, Facebook. Uh, I've got a YouTube channel. Subscribe there. I'm, I'm going to be putting together a lot of scouting 
videos for this summer as pertaining to elk hunting. So I'm excited about that. So make sure you're subscribing on all channels. Love to connect with you. If you have any questions and you want to reach out to me, just go to the site, transitionwild.com. Shoot me a note and uh, send me some feedback. Send me some love. Love to hear from you guys and appreciate your support. Thanks again for tuning in. And until next time, we'll talk to you later. We'll be right back.